Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Charles Prido and Remy Olupitan. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you, operator, and hello, everybody. Thanks very much for listening, and for those of you who are listening to the replay of our podcast, thanks very much indeed for tuning in. Um, this week, uh, it's great, Remy, to have you here. Welcome, um, and we'll get to uh, how the multi-asset team are seeing uh, this ever-changing world right now um, in a moment. But let me just begin with a quick recap, um, closing out November. So November ended on a kind of better note, um, given the turbulence that we've seen, obviously, particularly in October and the early part of the month, um, for two main reasons. We saw uh, a rally in risk assets uh, last week, um, and which continued into uh, Monday, a little bit more wobbly as I talked to you this morning on Tuesday. Those two reasons um, bluntly were, and I think primarily, um, uh, statements made by uh, the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve, specifically um, Chairman Jerome Powell sounded slightly more dovish uh, during his speech uh, by stating, and I quote, that rates are just below uh, the estimates of neutral. Um, and then the minutes uh, further emphasized that a couple of participants um, on the committee highlighted that the Fed funds rate might currently be near its neutral level, um, and then further, that further rate hikes could slow the expansion and put downward pressure on inflation. And so a much more moderate tone um, than really we've been hearing from the Fed as recently as October. Um, and that was a big tonic uh, for markets um, uh, that rallied significantly uh, on the back of that in the second half of last week. And then it was further augmented um, by uh, the reports of what I'll call a temporary trade truce uh, between uh, China and the U.S., uh, a postponement uh, for 90 days. Um, of further tariffs being imposed uh, on Chinese exports to the U.S. Uh, whilst further talks uh, took place. And that, of course, meant that some of the kind of worst fears um, of what could have arisen, because Trump was tweeting quite um, uh, aggressively in advance of the meeting, um, and uh, perhaps predictably uh, the actual outcome was slightly less than um, the tone of those tweets, um, which seems to be a technique that he applies. Um, but with that said, it is just a postponement, um, and I think it's important for us to highlight to clients that that particular source of tension, um, which is the subject of much of what Keith and Azad have been presenting to clients, has absolutely not gone away. But it did at least allow um, some respite um, for markets. Elsewhere, uh, last week, a couple of things to call out. Um, German retail sales, again, noticeably weak. Um, uh, they fell in October by 0.3% month on month when the consensus had been expecting as high as 0.4. Um, and that, again, um, just intimates the softness there um, and puts further pressure on how Draghi will think about his decision-making uh, as he considers moving from QE to QT. Um, and in the UK, um, we've had further consumer confidence weakness, making retailers quite nervous in the run-up to Christmas, um, with consumer confidence dropping by three points in November. Uh, and, of course, sentiment continuing to be undermined by the current Brexit um, deliberations. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, therefore living outside the UK, um, we have a vote uh, on uh, December uh, the 11th next week um, to ratify or not 
the deal uh, that May has negotiated, Prime Minister May has negotiated with the EU. Um, and at the moment, the consensus is that uh, that is unlikely to pass. Were it to pass, uh, then you would see Sterling um, uh, rally somewhat. Um, uh, were it not to pass, um, because there'd still be quite un a lot of uncertainty in terms of what path would happen thereafter, you'd probably still see it under pressure at the kind of level of 127-ish uh, that it's trading at, uh, more or less, at the moment. Okay, so with that as a quick um, scoop round, um, Remy, again, welcome. Um, so let's go back to the Fed um, to begin with. Um, and what was your read on uh, the Fed statement last week in the context of the path that they've been plotting for rate increases thus far? So some moderate tone that the Fed, um, you know, uh, alluded to last week was very positive for markets. Certainly, when I say very positive, I mean in the context of um, the disturbance we experienced in October. I think prior to that, the Fed was really um, suggesting that they were focusing on U.S.-centric inflation and prioritized inflation over growth. So it was quite welcome news for the Fed to come back to the market and suggest that data dependency also matters. And that's important today because a lot of investors are questioning the outlook for U.S. growth given what is happening globally. I think Keith's own forecasts for the first quarter next year are coming down a bit. Yes, absolutely, which, you know, that is a big question mark and that's a big concern because if the U.S. data is going to soften, then we need the Fed to recognize that and also be willing to act. And so it was welcome news for Powell to let the market know that, yes, they are ready to step in should the data deteriorate. So he's not Edo fixed. But with that said, um, it's highly likely that we will see a 25 basis points move later this month anyway. Yes, because the current conditions in the U.S. economy support a 25 basis points interest rate hike, and that's priced into the market. So it's really it's all about um, what level of data strength is delivered in the early part of next year, um, which then may or may not um, uh, justify further increases. Yes, and so it's important to know now that the Fed is flexible. But from the market point of view, market expectations have definitely uh, tapered somewhat. So um, the U.S. Uh, tenure now is trading sub three. So it's back. Johanna has been very vocal all year about the importance of the power of the number three, and we're now just below that number again, um, perhaps indicating that the market, at least, is beginning to think that the chances are less likely. Yes, I mean, Keith certainly feels that the Fed will pause in June, and we agree with that. And I think the market also expects that right now with the U.S. 10-year below three. I think the market feels that the Fed is a lot closer to neutral than they believe. Right. And so with, um, uh, with, with that in mind, um, clearly, the, the pressure on the dollar, um, first of all, is therefore likely to be less, what I mean by in terms of appreciation, than we've seen this year. Would you agree with that? Yes. So part of the reason why the dollar has appreciated this year has been because of the Fed normalizing more aggressively than any other central bank and because U.S. growth has also outperformed. Now, based on the view that we have, and certainly what Keith is suggesting, that U.S. growth could soften as we move into 2019, it means that that outperformance is likely to reverse. And with a Fed that's more flexible and willing to pause, then again, it means that the dollar is likely to stabilize. And again, certain currencies could even weaken. 
So in terms of, therefore, global monetary conditions, let's frame it like that, if you think about the dollar being a proxy for that as well, um, this, the, the likelihood is that we're not going to see the same delta of tightening um, next year that we've seen this year. Absolutely. Certainly, if we think about tightening from the U.S., point of view. Now, there are still question marks about tightening outside of the U.S., but I guess the message we're getting from the Fed is that they're willing to be flexible with regards to how fast they tighten. And if that leads to a depreciation or stabilization in the dollar, then that is a welcome relief to monetary conditions. Right. And gives, in, in that sense, markets in their various forms a little bit of breathing space. Just before we go on to, therefore, where you see opportunities. Um, what do you expect, um, given what we've described and what I touched on in terms of some of the data coming out of Germany, um, from it, what do you expect um, Mario Draghi to be saying? So clearly I think the, this is a concern for the ECB because they're desperately trying to normalize a monetary policy. Trying to copy Europe. the states. Trying they, to copy. they want future ammunition. Absolutely. One could argue that maybe they've missed their window of opportunity. But um, I think, you know, they're definitely concerned with regard to the weakness of the European data. But we do expect them to try to strike a positive tone by emphasizing that this is a temporary softening. And they will emphasize, like the Fed, that the ECB is flexible, but the path is still to normalize. They will continue to monitor the data, but they will try to provide an optimistic stance that this is a temporary softening of the data and things are likely to improve next year in order to give them that room to tighten. And that's relevant quite aside from the policy in its own right because it will keep um, the euro on a level, um, let me use an English term, satisfactorily bid, um, which therefore relative to the dollar is important given what you were saying a moment ago about the dollar not having quite the same kind of upward appreciation momentum that we've seen this year. Absolutely. So it will help the euro, but it will also help the market's perception of interest rate policy. Because the worst thing for the ECB is to have a situation where the market totally prices out interest rates, any chance of um, higher interest rates. And that means that um, they will have, their forward guidance has to be even more aggressive. Right. So let's turn to prevailing multi-asset views and indeed activities um, in terms of what you've been doing in the, on the back of this kind of mini relief. So um, uh, I, when we were chatting before, uh, you cast the team's view uh, as being uh, cautiously optimistic. Can you expand a little bit on what that means? Uh, and then we can go on to where you see areas of return. Oh, yeah. So ultimately, we are in the late stage of the cycle. And typically, um, the late stage is an environment where you do still have positive returns. It's just very choppy, and there's a lot more volatility. And so that means that as we look out into 2019, we do believe that we it is still an environment where one can generate returns. So that's why we're not bearish yet. But it's an environment where you have to be very careful about which assets you favor. So compared to 2017, where we clearly favored equities, what we have been doing over the last few months is rotating away from equities into other areas where there is a valuation cushion, particularly areas where you have an interesting starting yield. Um, so, so areas which have perhaps suffered this year on the back of that dollar and monetary tightening 
Absolutely. The dimension we described a moment ago. Absolutely. In our view, the damage, a lot of damage has been it's done, right. has been priced into those areas. So from an asset class rotation point of view, they are interesting. And those areas are emerging market debt and particularly local debt that will be supported if the dollar stabilizes. And starting yields are pretty attractive, above 7%. Um, high yield debt is starting to look interesting. Um, starting yields are attractive again, above 7%. We do have to be careful because credit conditions in the U.S. are starting to look worrying. But relative to equities, we believe that the downside risk to some extent is capped. So you're being, in that sense, paid to take the risk. And, and you know, given the way bonds work, the, the return is instantly visible, or the path to return is instantly visible. So just put some numbers on, on that. Um, so emerging market debt at the moment, you're, I think, nine, was that right? In terms of the starting yield, yeah. so um, some markets are offering a yield of nine. Broadly speaking, it's about seven. Um, and then you have, and that doesn't include the potential appreciation from the currency, particularly if the dollar right. weakens. Exactly. Um, so the upside potential is quite um, attractive there. And high yield? Um, so the starting yield there is about 7%. And so if you think about it relative to cash, it's a pretty good risk premium today. And then as you look um, out into um, equities next year, um, what would be your trend return, total return forecast from, from equities? Yeah, so the total return forecast isn't exciting, I'm afraid. It's between 5 and 7%. Um, so it's a low single-digit return forecast. The good news is it's positive. And, and to put that into perspective for everyone listening, the, the, the yield on the U.S. market right now is roughly what? About two, two and a half. Right. Yeah. So taking that off your numbers gives the chance to, to, to make people, look, of course, in the inescapable truths. We've been um, highlighting how uh, lackluster um, traditional equity market returns are likely to be. And, of course, equities remain volatile. Absolutely. But I think within equities, there are interesting areas as well. So part of the yield theme, um, high dividend yield in equities are attractive now. And they've performed quite well over the last um, you know, two months of turbulence. And we expect that to continue because one of the attractiveness of high dividend yield in equities is that you do have a bias towards the more defensive stock. And so we expect that style or theme to outperform next. So it's not slavish yield, it's those companies which have defensive characteristics and obviously the associated dividend cover uh, going with them. So, so as you assemble the portfolio, um, you know, very simplistically, you, you know, the team, you sit back um, and say, okay, so where are uh, the pockets of return? Um, uh, could you just maybe expand a little bit more on how you um, juxtapose the return streams from the fixed income asset class, as you were describing, um, with given the volatility of equities, how that kind of the case for equities or the level of equity exposure that you're prepared to run, how that stacks up? Yes, so across most of our portfolios, what we have been doing is gradually reducing our exposure to equities, but our focus has been to sell on strength, and we expect to continue doing that next year. So in a way, because of this late, late cycle type environment where, who knows, but I would have thought if Keith's prognosis comes through, market talk about the potential for a U.S. recession of some description, not something President Trump would like, I'm sure, um, will increase, um, and that will likely create the bouts of volatility.
absolutely. But everything comes at a price. Like, you know, we we believe that a lot of damage has been done to equity valuations this year compared to where we were at the start. So a lot of those ambitious targets have been priced out. And is the, sil- the silver lining to what's been rather a brutal year. Exactly. So although our view right now is to reduce slowly, um, at some point if valuations improve and the market moves rather pessimistic, then we will change our tune. Maybe that's great. So let me just try and um, uh, wrap, um, wrap up uh, with a bit of a summary. So um, we've had this kind of um, uh, short-term news, which has allowed the markets uh, to rally somewhat. That's been attributable to uh, the trade truce, but that hasn't gone away. Uh, but more importantly, through a softening of rhetoric out of the U.S. Federal Reserve, showing that they're going to be data-dependent and perhaps not so slavish to the formally announced dot plot of increases throughout next year. So that's given um, comfort to the markets. Um, specifically, though, given uh, as we look out and look at this um, late cycle environment where because of the midterm results, we're not going to be uh, likely to see, we're not likely to see further fiscal stimulus out of the Trump administration, which means that late cycle dynamics can play out, quote unquote, more normally. Um, against that background, uh, at a headline level, first of all, um, it means that the returns for equities are going to be a bit more muted, and yet, because of the stage of the cycle, more volatile. And, <clears throat> and as you calibrate exposures, that's something to um, factor in. And so the team's stance is to reduce exposure on rallies rather than being inclined to buy the dips. Secondly, uh, because of the rally that we've seen in the dollar uh, this year and the damage uh, that that's done to valuations, uh, in emerging market debt and pockets of high yield, that, from an opportunity point of view, has given rise to some great uh, entry points um, in both asset classes um, with kind of entry yields, depending on what you look at, of between uh, 9 and 7%, and, of course, with the potential for local currency returns for emerging market debt to be further increased with the idea that the strength of the dollar will abate somewhat, given what we've been saying about the Fed and the state of the cycle. So uh, in summary, therefore, the team's attitude is cautiously optimistic, um, uh, but having to be quite circumspect and very deliberate uh, about which areas of return uh, can be targeted at this stage of the cycle. Uh, The good news from this year is that whilst it's been bruising, uh, as you said a moment ago, Remy, there is a price for everything, and entry points in some areas of fixed income are now really properly interesting. And I know having done one of these calls relatively recently, um, I think Philippe is inclined to feel the same way about high yield as as you are, for example. So with that, uh, thank you very much indeed. Hugely appreciate your time. Um, And operator, that concludes today's call. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.